This is the Astro Primer for April 23rd, the fourth week of April of 2018. Hey guys, welcome back to the Astro Primer, or Primer, if you like to call it Primer. It is a let's get quick information about the Milky Way and the sky, about I'm going to go out and do some astrophotography, Milky Way photography. What do I need to know? I focus on multiple areas, New North America, Europe, Japan, Chile, South Africa, New Zealand, just to give a broad understanding of where the Milky Way core is visible. What times and what days this week, starting from Monday through Sunday night, when is it going to be visible? And so we always start off with North America, but this week we're going to start off with a New Zealand. We're going to go from their southern hemisphere all the way up. So those of you from North America, just give it away. We'll get to you last. I love weeks like this because this is a week where we have a full moon. And it's always easy to say, ah, full moon this week. There's no chance. But there is a chance. And if you're listening to this podcast immediately the day it came out, your best chance every area is today, Monday night through Tuesday morning. It's the best opportunity that you're going to have. So let's go ahead and get right to it. New Zealand, Monday you have five hours, Tuesday you have four, Wednesday three, Thursday two, Friday one. You will have no opportunity in New Zealand from Saturday and Sunday. But New Zealand is the best in the world because you can have time all the way through Friday where you still manage to have an hour with the Milky Way. South Africa, very similar, 8.45 p.m. until 5.30 a.m. And you have 4.5, 3.5, 2.5, Thursday 1.5, and Friday you only end up with 30 minutes. So from Monday's 4.5 to Thursday's or Friday's 30 minutes, you lose an hour every time and end up with a half an hour there still on Friday to do it, but nothing on Saturday and Sunday. Chile, your times are 9.45 p.m. to 6.50 a.m. And you have the exact same numbers as South Africa where Monday is 4.5, 3.5, 2.5, 1.5, but then your last day, depending on your location, is only 23 minutes. Just kind of depends on your exact location. Nothing Saturday or Sunday. Japan, those of you out there in Japan, you have 11 p.m. Milky Way core visibility to 3.15 a.m. And Monday night, you have an hour and 45 minutes that you can see the Milky Way. Tuesday night, only an hour. And then Wednesday, you have those 20 minutes. So you have all the way up until Wednesday to actually see the Milky Way before it's all blocked out by the moon the rest of the week. But Wednesday night, still 20 minutes. That'd still be worth it to me. Europe, Focusing on London, well, London, you've got zero opportunity. Anyone higher than London or in the London latitude, you've got no opportunity to see the Milky Way this week without the moon being up as well. It's your call whether you still capture the shot, but the moon will be up and mostly full. Italy, that area, southern Europe, you're going to be faced with an hour tonight on Monday and then 30 minutes only on Tuesday, but then that's your last opportunity. Lastly, North America. Hey guys, what we have for those of us living here in North America, we're faced with a 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. Milky Way. So it's still late in the morning late at night, early morning that we can see the Milky Way, but we have an hour and 10 minutes tonight. So tonight is the absolute best time for everyone, and it's still an hour and 10 minutes for us. And Tuesday, you have 45 minutes, but we will not have a Wednesday. Japan is lucky. They have a Wednesday, but we will not. And so there's two nights. There are two nights this week in a full moon week that we can still get out and see the Milky Way. So if you're in North America and have two nights, if you're in London, have zero, sorry, London. And if you're in New Zealand and have almost the entire week, just nothing on the weekend, then you can enjoy Milky photography even on a full moon week. So get out there, hurry and go. That's your Astro Primer for April 23rd, the fourth week of April of 2018. Do you ever find yourself shaking your fist at clouds? 
Do you secretly wish you could cause a county-wide power outage? Have you ever caught yourself yelling, STUPID MOON? Have you ever left your warm bed and stood outside in near-freezing temperatures at 2 in the morning and loved it? Have you ever answered the question, why aren't you getting enough sleep? With, it's a new moon. If you have ever said, thought, or done any of these things, then this podcast is for you. I'm Aaron King, and welcome to the Astrophotog Podcast. It's Astrophotog episode number six, and we are back again, and I'm doing it for the first time ever a week in a row. I don't think on Astrophotog we've had two weeks in a row yet, and I'm excited for this new schedule. Those of you who were paying attention really well last week, you know that I said, hey, this is going to be fun. I'm going to be able to get this out by Monday morning commute. (sighs) Not quite. But the reason is a good one, and it's for a crazy weekend that I just had, and I'm going to talk a lot about it, because we just had Eric Benedetti's Star Tracking online workshop this weekend, and there was so many late nights and zero sleep nights, and it was just almost impossible for me to get up this morning and record it beforehand, and Sunday night, I don't think it would have been that good of a podcast. I was burnt out, hanging out, just playing a little bit of Don't Starve, just wanted to play some games. I just couldn't pull myself together to do too much. I had just had a long weekend, but it was a blast. It was a lot of fun, and we're going to talk about my fantastic moments and my major flubs. So FMMF, fantastic moments, major flub countdown, as well as my three favorite takeaways from the workshop that I know it's okay to share that's not going to take away from those of you who have purchased the workshop and have those secret clues and hints and tips and tricks from Eric Benedetti. Eric Benedetti right there at your fingertips. And so you guys are the lucky ones who own it. And if you guys are considering still, you can go down to the link below and purchase a replay. The replay was more expensive than the actual workshop, which seems crazy, but it's just we're encouraging people to participate in these workshops live. There will be some discounts offered here and there through the podcast, so stay tuned for that. I mean, the next one won't be for another month, but there might be a little discount offered here and there and definitely a discount over Black Friday if you want to come back for the Black Friday deals. But right now, all the content is $99 and it comes with a lot of good stuff. You have instant access to the raw YouTube live replays. You'll have access to an exclusive private Facebook group with Eric Benedetti, polished and edited content website that is gonna have all the segments from the workshop broken up and placed out very nicely. For instance, We have a post-processing section that went for four hours, but you're not going to see one video four hours all polished. You're going to see section four, making sure the trees look really good and how you work with trees on your foreground. Then there's also a workshop PDF that's coming from the lesson highlights that I've already watched the workshop and then we'll rewatch and make sure I don't miss anything and link you guys gear info and recommendations from Eric. And then actually on top of the content that already got recorded on Saturday, we're going to have more instruction. I'm going to be going to Eric's place to film him do another tutorial, more specific how to mask out your foreground and do it really well, as well as other live AMAs, ask me anything that we can do. And so as we keep going, and I'm hoping when he gets back from his trip that we're going to go out to Capitol Reef. We have an idea to go out to Capitol Reef or anywhere and actually film him on location, do it. So there's a lot of information, a lot of content, and telling you what, what we already saw for that weekend, if you just watch the YouTube live replays, you will make your money's worth right there. And I'm going to do my best to make sure you feel like you definitely have your money's worth the rest of the time that I add more content in there. So keep checking that out. The link is down below. If you're a Photog Adventure follower, you know how something always seems to go wrong. My favorite moment 
Okay, let's not say my favorite moment. One of the funnier moments from the workshop was when I lost audio in the beginning of the second pro in the second uh, live feed. So the first live feed were a couple was a couple hours, and then we had a four hour live feed with post processing. And man, the beginning of it, I lost audio. And as I'm trying to fix the audio, and I'm mouthing at the camera, kind of telling them, "Hey guys, wait, let me fix this." Blah blah. blah see what's going on. Brian Miller wrote in there and said, "The internet runs on suffering, so really, you are hearing." <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me say this better. He goes, also, the internet runs on suffering, so really you are helping power the internet. I would know because I work for the largest telecoms company in Canada. <laughs> so the internet runs on suffering, and my suffering that day probably spiked all of your bandwidth, so you're welcome. And then Brian Miller says the phrase that hurts and feels awesome because it's so true. He goes, hey, is this the digital version of a flat tire? <laughs> <laughs> Photog Adventures, if you haven't followed us very long, we always get a flat tire. And so when we go out anywhere, we come home with a flat tire or get one or two. It's nuts. We have terrible luck. And with our live feeds, we're having ter terrible luck. And so like Photog Adventures, Photog Misadventures, we always make those jokes. It happened again. And Brian Miller pointed out that this must be the digital version of a flat tire. <laughs> so... Oh, that's why there are fantastic moments and major flubs in this. So here we go. Let's start with the good news. Oh my gads, the clear white background to see the gear. That was great. His tripod, his gear, all of it's black. I mean, black on black on black gear head, ball head, tracker and tripod. So everything kind of gets lost if there's any color whatsoever behind it. And so having that big white background, that went fantastic. There's only one part which I can jump into the audience was helping a lot. This is another fantastic moment. The audience was helping saying, hey, that's a little dark on my screen. Can you up the ISO? And I was like, okay, good. The problem with this video box is that it plugs into my camera with an HDMI cable and it wouldn't be video's fault. It's freaking Canon's fault. Unless there's a setting I'm not aware of. I wonder if there is. If you guys know of it, let me know. But once the Canon's been plugged into an HDMI cord, you don't see anything. It sends all of its video out to that end location and if it's a monitor great you can see it in the monitor in my case it was a video box who was sending that signal out to the internet and so I couldn't see what my camera saw I couldn't even see the settings I, I hit the menu or info button I had to see it on the delayed version of the live stream and so the audience was helping me know where it was kind of up or down and I thought it looked okay from my view but I wasn't certain they were definitely the right ones so we brought the ISO up higher brought the gear a little bit more visible with the lights that I have really blasting on them and brought them out it, it turned out really great on the replay version it's polished and it looks fantastic but it went when it went through the camera the Canon uh, 5D Mark IV it had some issues well, I wouldn't say issues. It had some moments of too dark. Now, we're not saying dark you can't see. We're just saying that the blacks blended in depending on your bandwidth and how you know how crisp your live feed was coming through. And so it just got better and better with the audience help. And the clear white background, oh, it, really, it really made it easy to follow along with what Eric was doing. How did you hook that on? And what is that part? It made it easy to follow and see. I think you guys are going to love that. But I first major flub of the morning. So I ended up having zero hours of sleep. Well, let's say one hour of sleep. At 3.30, I was falling asleep trying to set up the RTFP, Custom Communications 
plugging it in. I mean, it was such a mess trying to use zoom.us. It just isn't meant for that. I have to do, I have to purchase way too many things to connect something like this to a live stream. And it was too much hassle to figure out the night before. And my, I was so stoked I could get this video pro gear so I can film through it and have a mic connection. But ah, what a challenge to try and do that the night before. Obviously that's a terrible way to go, but, uh, you know, when the internet only comes in on Monday, I only had three other day opportunities and it ended up being the last of them. So uh, it is what it is. So this box, it's plugged in and sending signal and having had zero sleep and trying to figure things out on the fly, I had a recording opportunity inside the box. There's an SD card and you can record to it. And it wasn't really saying that it was recording. So I wanted to have that recording from the camera so that I could use it just in case if I liked some of that clip feed other than my secondary camera that was my iPhone 7 recording the full polished version of it. So um, I thought after I had it running, it was the last like five minutes before the thing was going live that we had the last thing set up in place and I hit live, hit go record, go to YouTube and say, okay, start live stream. All of that happened with barely minutes to spare. And so three minutes and 41 seconds into the live feed, I decide, you know what? There's this start stop button. I want to start stop record. It's red. I'm used to cameras having a red button like this for recording to your card. And like an idiot, <laughs> I didn't resist hitting that button. So I hit it. You hear that little click? Oh, the tiniest little button, tiniest little click. And that brought the entire workshop to its knees. Well, it brought me to my knees, begging for mercy, begging for, you know, forgiveness, because I blundered that. I completely blundered it. What was working was working great. And people were starting to come in. I mean, finding the actual link for the YouTube video was something that people weren't seeing in their email very easily. I was working on getting them connected and having them join the group. Well, suddenly now what they were watching with people chatting just turned off. Like, oh, where to go? But the chat was still active, and so they're still talking to each other. And I'm trying to fix it. So on YouTube, if you've ever done a live feed, you can see that there's this box that says preview. Okay, signal is good. Oh, signal's bad. Signal's kind of okay. Won't be too great. Kind of buffering on you. Or signal's just great. Signal's great. Signal was great. I hit that start stop button. Now it says no data, no signal, nothing's coming through. So I go, okay, crap. I shouldn't have hit that button. Maybe I should start it again. I hit the start button again. Go from start to stop. Now back to start, right? I think video was sending, but man, YouTube would not see it. Now, the problem was, is that YouTube wasn't seeing it, but also was seeing it. And so people were watching the feed go on and off. And if they refresh the window, it would work, but not for everyone. Some people said I couldn't see it, couldn't get to re recover. Some people said I can see it again. It's great. But on my end, it showed no data, no data stream. Nothing was being found by YouTube. I refreshed my, you know, you know what they call it is the live room, the live view room or something like the live dashboard. I refreshed that live dashboard to see if it would then show signal since some people claim that they saw it. And no, it said no data. And it turned out a few minutes later, they told me this is kind of a loop. It would just play the five seconds and loop back and play five seconds. And if you refreshed, all you would get was a buffered five second loop. 
So now I'm fully sweating beads of fear and blood and tears of just, I can't believe it. I blew it. I'm going into 20 minutes now of trying to recover. And I'm like, you know what? There's only one way to fix it now. Just reboot the video. See if that works. Nothing. Nothing connected to YouTube again. And if I exit out of that feed or stop the live feed, it said you cannot restart it. And that means the link that I've given everyone for that feed is going to change. And now that puts in another element of fooling your, your clientele of where they need to be to see this. And I was panicked. I was by myself with Eric Benedetti. Eric Benedetti's job was just to be the awesome genius who was teaching people how to do this photography. His job was not the behind the scenes. That's where I earned my money. And oh my gads, it was stressful. Oh gosh. Okay, so then that reboot didn't work. YouTube still couldn't find it, and I have to go for it. I'm going to cut the feed. I cut the feed, and I had to create a whole brand new one, brand new video, connect it, and everything that I had done the hour before, I had to do again, making sure it was there. I, I named it just the same, made it on the same settings, hoping that that would help people. It didn't work, and I gave some people that link. I was like, no, 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 not that link. Let's do this link, and I had to do a third link, a third link. That one worked. But then uh, I sent some people to a wrong room and they sat there watching chat going by thinking that other people are here waiting so it must be the right place. But they were all in the wrong place together for an hour. An hour and 30 minutes, some of them. Just an hour, some of them. Thankfully, Rob Ryan, hey, props to you, Rob Ryan, that you went over to that window and noticed them there because they would have been there all morning. And I felt so devastated. Once they came in, they're like, hey, I've been in that room for an hour and a half. What was going on? I thought this was, was working. People were there talking, and there's nothing I could do but apologize. Huge major flub, all because Aaron King decided, I bet if I hit that red button that it would go and record to the SD card. Why did I do that? Oh, my lands. What an idiot. So what else went well? Let's talk about something else went well. Panorama instruction. Oh, my gads. People wanted to know about panoramas, and they wanted to know how you do it in this situation where you're putting a star tracker on here, and you're running it, and then you go and do your other image, and it's also tracking. And so how do you overlap? How do you work with it? Just what are the steps that, that Eric does in order to create his 30-plus image panoramas, multiple rows? It went fantastic. Oh, I mean... People were saying, I thought this would be the most boring part for me and I wouldn't get anything out of it, but I've had so many new tips. I'm not sure exactly what Shane saw, but he got a tip that he thought, oh, okay, that's great. And so the panorama instruction went really well. Seeing him do it and go through the process, talk about it, explain why he does certain things, why he starts here, you know, north to south, stuff like that. Why does he do these things this way? And so all those wonderful pieces of information that comes from just out there standing there by the gear showing what he does it reminds eric everything that he does as he's going and he can talk about it live on the video feed so that was that was awesome we had some great content and eric benedetti what a freaking stud great 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 content so to end this podcast i'm going to tell you my three takeaways and hopefully you'll find them valuable and be interested in learning more content and if you're not just take these takeaways and get a star tracker go and do it because you are going to love it so, takeaway number one, panoramas are extra hard and fun. Oh my gads, they look brilliant. Just a little, like seven image panorama 
looks amazing compared to what I can pull off with a single image. I am re- I am stuck and limited by my 10 to 13 second shutter and what it captures, what color is being shown, what air glow is popping out, and just how great the Milky Way dust lanes look. And so no matter my dodging and burning, no matter all the things that I could possibly do to bring them out, I'm introducing noise to my signal and act you know, amplifying sections that just don't have as much data as I'd want, and I'm going to bring them out as if they had that data. And those are the limitations of single image photography. I definitely, definitely am a fan of single image Milky Way photography to keep things accessible to everyone. So many of you just don't want to learn Photoshop in all the ways that you can. It's so overwhelming and crazy what all Photoshop, all the things that Photoshop can do. And so I like keeping it accessible. Beginner, easy entry level let's just keep it fun let's focus on the experience of going and then bringing out your image and sharing with people because when people look at my image versus eric benedetti's they're like wow wow on a scale of one to ten they'll rank his higher for sure just because there's more color but they don't necessarily understand and appreciate all the work that he's done to make the image turn into what it turned into and they think that I have done exactly that in my panoramas and my single image shots. And so you don't have to go that crazy, but when you're ready for it, when you want to, oh, you're going to get some awesome stuff. So here's some of the tips and panoramas that I got from Eric Benedetti. First of all, the foreground, you know, obviously is moving and when you're going right and left. So just get the foreground first. You got the Milky Way rising in some times of the year and there's nothing to film in the core. So just get the foreground first. If you have a moment where the core is up and you're ready to go, get the sky first, then get your foreground. Because that foreground, you're going to get a great foreground shot. You can get that last and make it perfect. Because you're going to have a couple hours of doing your your panorama, maybe only an hour depending on how fast you are. And you're going to have that panorama stitch of all the sky done. And then you just get the foreground and make it look awesome. But if in this situation, he was showing a Bryce Canyon image that you know the Milky Way hadn't risen yet at this time of year. And so he just got the foreground well lit, well captured, and then he waited for the Milky Way to rise and then captured his sky. Also, man, you want to take your panorama from north to south. The way that the Milky Way core will move, it is just way too much. And so if you start on the Milky Way core and then work your way out to the right and left, you're going to get a lot more difficult stitching on the outer ring and the core than you would if you started from north to south. So that means you're facing your Milky Way and you have a full arch you're going to do for a panorama. You should start all the way on the far left, which is north for us here in Northern Hemisphere, and go to the north part of the panorama and capture those shots and move your way into the Milky Way core. It will look better and it will connect better as you have the stitched going up and keeping that Milky Way core in a consistent look. If you start on the Milky Way core, as it changes so much and then the outer ring kind of changes a little bit, you end up getting far more issues that way. Now the specifics of it, until I actually do it myself with a a tracker, I can't say specifically why. I just know that the master said he does his from north to south. So it is a north part of it and go over, north part of it and pans over. If you do three levels, Always start each level at the far left and then work your way over. It's just how it's worked better for him, and it's been solid for him. So that's his main practice for it. And you know what? 
there's no need to stack a ton of images like we can do where you stack seven or eight images on top of each other and do your pan out to make them look really solid because the star tracker brings in so much information brings in so much color and detail that it is astonishing he had i think seven images only for his bryce canyon panorama and by the time his shot was done he's like you know it's a little brighter i think we started leaking into astronomical twilight a little bit towards the end or maybe there was some zodiacal light that was causing it to be brighter in the sky so it's a little bit brighter than I want it, but this is pretty good. And you look at it and you think, wow, the detail in the row of Fuki. Oh, it's so amazing. The colors that are showing up and the way that the dust lanes are just on fire. Oh, mm, I just, I, I, I'm going to have a hard time the rest of this year doing single image photography, knowing what I could be doing. But I, I have so much still to do with single image and single places to go. And I'm not going to have a star tracker for probably a few months. I'm hoping maybe by next week next month i can have it in time for the march or the may one but i know kathy is bringing her star tracker for our workshop in may at escalante and so we're gonna have fun with that when we're there oh yes so yeah um it's gonna be fantastic to do panoramas with a star tracker i gotta say they look a lot of fun and they are extra hard don't underestimate the challenge so then that brings me to the second part Post-processing of star tracking is actually easier than it looks, except for one part, the foreground and tree crap. Oh, man. You could spend, eh, you know, 45 minutes, and you've got an Eric Benedetti sky, that Eric Benedetti Milky Way, that even one of the commenters said, hey, wow, I can't believe how much went in to become an Eric Benedetti sky. That wasn't that much, just a few things here and there that he did to really bring out a sky and it looks like an Eric Benedetti Milky Way shot. Obviously requires that you start off with a very fantastic Star Trek image, but then the post-processing doesn't have to be crazy. It's not 30 hours every time. The only place that it can be very, very tedious, and it is, obviously, from what I watched him do, is dealing with trees. Oh my gads. The foreground's much easier if there's no trees. You still have a foreground that moved on you and you have to mask it in and you can do some things that he shows just how to cheat it and just how he likes to do and it's never been a problem and blah, 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 this and that. And then you got some cleanup to do around every edge to make sure the halo's gone and make sure you don't have any weird ghosting of an old image that you didn't mask out fully or just need to delete, blah, blah, blah. Plenty of cleanup that you're going to have to do on the foreground lines. But when you do it, it looks brilliant. And like I said, to those of you who already participated in the workshop or are going to purchase the replay, you're going to see another video that he does where he goes into finer detail of handling the masking, of handling the foreground, handling the trees. Because he went as fast as he could through it since he knew it was already three, four hours long of a course or of that post-processing segment. But there's a lot more to learn, a lot more to actually see him and get handheld by the master of, okay, how did you do it? What did you do? What what do you mean by of proper masking? So there's a lot to be learned there, but man, I am just going to avoid the trees. I am going to go and do my star tracker on these awesome red rocks of Utah and their awesome horizon like goosenecks that are just so empty and capture some amazing shots. I mean, my portfolio pieces that are going to make me the most proud are going to come from a star tracker. It's just that's the bottom line. I love it way too much to give it up. So I can't wait to do some of these shots that I've done before 
but with a star tracker. Ooh, it's going to be amazing. Third and final takeaway from the Eric Benedetti Star Tracking Workshop that I got I got to share with all of you and you need this information. I would go right now and buy them like I did. There's absolutely no affiliate linking to this and I'm not getting a single cent. So if you guys go there, there's nothing to be shared with me. It's nothing like that. It's just I recommend them through Eric Benedetti's recommendation. If you buy only one, get the first one. These are these astro post-processing tools and actions that you can use in Photoshop. They are amazing. If you buy the course and you watch Eric Benedetti go through his post-processing, you'll see him make use of these, especially the Carboni Astronomy Tools. Carboni Astronomy Tools. You'll see the link down below, and then you'll also see the link down below for Annie's Astro Actions. Both of those he made use of. Mostly the Carboni Tools, they're fantastic. And uh, it's just there's things that he's done in that that have made the Milky Way look amazing and sharper and takes care of the stars in a way that I just don't do. I don't currently do in my beginner accessible version of post-processing for Milky Way. And so it's something that if you guys want to go up just a little bit higher in your post-processing, you want to learn from Eric and how he used them, watch our video, buy the replay. It's $99 now, but if you want to wait for a discount or want to you know, wait for one of these podcasts to say, hey, we're selling it for 48 hours this price, boom, wait for that. It will be coming next month, so wait for that. This thing, this these tools, they are, let me just give you an idea. There's an astro frame where you can add a background color border with room for captioning the image. Okay, that's great. But, uh, ooh, star diffraction spikes on tiny stars, small stars, medium stars, or fat stars. How you select the stars. How you make sure you select only the stars and apply certain cool things to it where you can get like a light pollution removal. Construct RGB image from channel files. You can do a light pollution. Uh, do a hard color gradient removal, lighten only the deep sky objects and dimmer stars, and that's cool. You could lighten only those dimmer stars and the deep sky objects to bring them out and make your sky have a million more stars and a million more awesomeness. And so this is a freaking amazing thing. And these things like reduce the large blue violet halos or the small violet blue halos that happen around your stars, the things you can do to reduce them real quickly. And Annie's actions talks about some of these similar things like reduce star bloating, dynamic enhance, enhance the dust lanes, simple stretching, H-A-R-G-B. What is that? Trying to help bring out the reds of the nebulosity that's happening. You got a gradient reduction, remove stars, remove stars, and then remove the panda eyes. I don't even know what she means by panda eyes. I'm sure that's a term in astron astronomy post-processing, but I don't know. Bo in Italian means I don't know. So I don't know. Uh... I can't wait to find out. And so I purchased both of them. Annie's are $15 right now for version 7.0. And the astronomy tools from Carboni, which is actually at a website called prodigitalsoftware.com, that is USD $21.95. So I quickly spent 45 bucks real quick, and I love it. I'm excited to use them. And if you guys go to the links down below, you can buy them again. Those aren't affiliate links. I'm not connected to them. I just really like what Eric recommended. And you guys should... Add them to your work. See if you guys like them too. Buy the replay if you want to see how he did it. Otherwise, just uh, play around with them. See what works. See what's awesome. So thank you. Thank you for joining me again on an Astro Photog podcast. This week, I couldn't make it in time for your Monday morning commute, but hopefully this is making it for your later day commute home. I mean, it's 2.18 right now for me in mountain time. And so if you're on the East Coast, it's already 4.18. You might already be working your way home. 
But if you're not, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Astro Flow Talk, another Astro Primer. Remember, best nights tonight and tomorrow night everywhere. Get out there if you can tonight or tomorrow night if you have good skies. And catch you in a couple days on the Photog Adventure Podcast. See you guys.